Martin banks it off. Sutter is up with it there. Right around in front. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. Leading goal scorer on the team. Drew one in front. It's the TC Martin Show. A tie game on the power play. Hodgson was at the front of the net. They are even. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor. A power play goal by the captain. TC Martin. It's brushed on back by Richard Hodgson. Right up front. Younger fan inside of the net. Is now in. And a good Wednesday afternoon, too. Is that where we're at? Wednesday. There it is. Middle of the work week. Hump day. There it is. All right. TC Martin, ballpark slash VGK Frank in the house. Numchuck on the other side of the glass. Glad to have you with us on this Wednesday. A lot to do, a lot to cover today. Vegas Golden Knights victorious in the must win game last night. They even up the series one game apiece. With the Minnesota Wild, we'll dive into that. And then today, big guest-driven show today, Timothy Bradley, the five-time former champ and ESPN boxing analyst. He will join us as we talk about big fight card returning to Las Vegas at the Virgin Hotel and Casino, formerly the Hard Rock. That's taking place on Saturday night. Tim Bradley will join us. Is that going to be at the joint over there? That's going to be at the joint, but I don't think it's called the joint anymore. Always be the joint. I will be the joint. You know, classic concert venue, classic sports venue. Uh, but, uh, yes, the arena or whatever they're calling it I now. remember when it was called the new joint because it replaced the original joint. Well, here, see, but you have a long history with joints. No, I really don't have a long history with joints because I really don't uh, light it up yeah. like our guest tomorrow will. Yeah. But, um, but no, but actually, I was actually working at the Hard Rocket. I worked the first event that actually officially opened up the joint. Really? And that was Paul McCartney. W- without wings. Without wings. There it was Paul, Paul McCartney. McCartney. Outstanding. We had to work a double because I had already worked eight hours, and they said, yeah, everybody's got to work the McCartney concert. So I basically got paid to walk around and watch Paul McCartney. Mm-hmm. It was the best eight-hour work shift I've ever <laughs> had in my life. You got to watch Paul McCartney and get paid for it. Yes. Outstanding. And just, I did have to ask a couple people to um, put out their joints as they were smoking them. <laughs> and, there you go. But look, you know, I know you want to be mellow, but you know, at least try to hide it from me. There okay? are plenty of joints in the joint, is what you're there saying. There was a lot, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. I'm sure there were more for other concerts, but oh, yeah. yeah. Paul had a pretty mellow set in that, yeah. and uh, I just thought it was funny when he did the song 64, and he said, he, I think he was 65 at the time. So, <laughs> <laughs> so when I wrote this, I never thought I'd still be doing it. <laughs> All right, so yeah, boxing returns this weekend at the joint, or whatever they're calling it there now, at the Formerly the Hard Rock, now the Virgin. So look forward to that. We'll talk to Timothy Bradley today. Uh, always great uh, talking with Tim. And also, we will dive into the situation with Top Rank Boxing, who Tim works for. Uh, as we know, uh, Bob Aram wants to be silent on this matter right now with Tyson Fury. What is happening with him? Because as we know, uh, he is supposed to be fighting Anthony Joshua in the big fight August the 14th in Saudi Arabia. However, Deontay Wilder says, wait a minute, you still owe me a fight even though they fought twice previously. So a third Wilder Fury fight, we should say Fury-Wilder fight because Fury holds the upper hand there. So that fight uh, we thought was squashed, but now Wilder and his attorneys are saying, nope, you still owe me a fight per our contract, but you can go ahead and fight Anthony Joshua if you give me $20 million. Then I'll step away. So we'll talk to Tim Bradley about that. Well, I wish somebody would give me $20 million to not fight him. <laughs> you're, always, you're, always, me and his money. you're always asking for money on this show. You know what's that? Yeah. 
$20 million? You wouldn't like that? Oh, you, Like yeah. you would turn it down. No, I wouldn't turn it down. But I, I would, You'd ask for $20 million and still want the comp meal. I would want the comp meal. There's no question about that. Food, food is very important. I, would you want $20 million to step in the ring with Tyson Fury, though? See, Tyson Fury likes me. So he would dance with me for a while. He would showboat. But that's the with whole you, point. It's you know? $20 million to not step in the ring with him. Yeah. That's what makes that's it. That's a good point. That's why I would jump at the chance. <laughs> $20 million to do it, I would leave $20 million to my friends, and they'd be happy when he killed me. Mm-hmm. But $20 million to not do it, I can actually enjoy the money. Yeah, crazy story with this thing. But the good news is boxing is back in Vegas. Boxing is back. <laughs> Really, uh, on the mainstream level here throughout the, the course of the summer. So uh, we'll talk to Tim Bradley about that. Chris Bosio is going to join us. I thought it would be great to have Boz on, even though we had Steve Sachs on yesterday. But Boz, from a pitching perspective, because another no-no last night, the fifth no-hitter of this young baseball season. And Chris Bosio, the last team that employed him, the Detroit Tigers, the no-no comes last night now, from you say- a Detroit Tiger, Spencer Turnbull. And when you say the fifth, that's not including the seven any no-hitter. That would be the sixth, but really that doesn't count. That's why it's the fifth. Right. Because a but seven I'm saying because some people out there, because that team is still claiming that they threw a no-hitter, and it's right. like, well, yeah, you did. You right. threw a girl softball no-hitter, but yeah. this is the major league. You threw a little league no-hitter, you know, there as well. All right. Speaking of which, I got a shout-out uh, to our intern who is sitting in studio today. And speaking of, of seven any no-hitters, This gentleman once threw a no-no. That's right. So he is a former baseball pitcher himself in the minor leagues. And I'm not talking the minor leagues. I'm talking about the minor, minor, minor leagues, like when he was 10 years old. Seven inning, no-hitter. There it is. Would that be considered? So if you threw – Scribbles is with us. Scribbles, if you threw a five-inning no-hitter, because your regulation game back in the day when you were 10, 11 years old was seven innings – would you consider that, would you tell all your friends, all your posse, everyone, that you threw a no-hitter if it was five innings and the game got called after five innings? Yes. Yeah. Just very simply, yes. Yes, because your ego is involved and you want to be associated with a no-no. Is that right? Yes, I'd expect a letter for the induction into the Hall of Fame. <laughs> what I want to know is, did you save the ball and did you scribble an autograph on it? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> tell you i don't remember i didn't even know that i did this until you mentioned it. there you so, go see yeah, didn't, don't even but you do remember scribbling your name with the, your first letter of your name a d backwards don't right rem- don't remember that either you there don't. is proof so i know there's it happened, proof but... he signed a bowling pin one time all right a bowling pin why did he bowl a 300 game or something no, i think he bowled a 30 it was at my daughter's fifth birthday party were the bumpers up yeah the bumpers <laughs> were up exactly there it is <laughs> So, so, so what I'm getting out of this, he was a better pitcher than a bowler. <laughs> Yet he signed a bowling pin. Exactly. But didn't sign the baseball that he threw a no-hitter with because he didn't know he threw one? Exactly. They're both equally worthless. So yeah. I don't worry That's about it. it too you much. You know, he, I think he'd be a better competitive eater than, than either of. Absolutely. How's that? Would he beat yeah. you? I already did. He already did. We went, oh. to Fre- we went to Freddy's today. There it is. Went to Freddy's today. His first time as a tourist here in Las Vegas, Nevada. Give us the quick rundown of Freddy's. Give us your synopsis of Freddy's because I know that you are a food critic, a connoisseur, and what do they call those? Influencer. 
He's a food oh. influencer. Oh, uh, I. This is not true. I have no social media. Actually, it's the opposite. You're just killing your resume. So you're, so I'm building an, you up. You're the anti-TC because he takes pictures of everything that he eats. I think he takes pictures of other people, other people's meals, and he doesn't that's, even that's eat them he, all. He took a because if he ate everything that he took a picture of, he would be bigger than Quake and I combined. Wow. <laughs> Hailing from parts unknown, weight unknown, the mast, VGK Frank, and the earthquake. Very nice. Well, the natural disasters. Isn't that what you called us when we first were... You're right. When he was still running the board? There you go. There, you know? There's a picture of Scribbles uh, eating his Freddy's California Double today. There you go. All right, so... G- it was delicious. Yeah, it was great. It was very... It was good. Uh, I'm going to be going back again later this week yeah. to try a hot dog. Yeah, so, so. Be, being a Californian that he is, he goes, what's what's frozen custard? Well, what, what is that? And so you can't just give them a simple answer. It's like, well, it's kind of like ice cream. He goes, no. What is custard? How do they make it? Where does it come from? That's what he said. I'm Where does it come from? I'm not my body if I don't know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> and what was the answer that you got when you asked the Are lovely girl at Freddy's? Uh, it's basically ice cream. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> but better. Yeah. A little smoother. Not as hard. Right. There you go. All right. All right, man. You can get back to your corner now. Thank you. Thank you very much for participating today. There it is. <laughs> All right. Well, at least you didn't tell him custard was the guy that lost at Little Bighorn. <laughs> He's well aware of that. He's well aware of that. Yes. Okay. Uh, Vegas Golden Knights. Let's do this. Talked about a huge game. It was a huge game last night. And wow. You could say maybe the tables have turned. Series now even at one. As uh, VGK went scoreless for four and a half periods. If we do the math on that, Frank, I believe 91 and a half minutes of scoreless hockey in uh, the first two games of the series, but yes, they scored a goal with 8.35 to go. Jonathan Marsh's show uh, lit the lamp for the very first time in the playoff series, and it sounded like this. Dumba with his fourth career playoff goal. Breaks the ice. In game two, Smith connects with Marsh's show. Shot score! Eighteen seconds to be exact after the Minnesota Wild took the lead midway through the second period. Got a little gloomy in the fortress, but after that first goal, because I think a lot of fans were saying, wow, are we ever going to score if you're a Golden Knights fan? And then all of a sudden, 18 seconds later, it went from gloominess to jubilation at T-Mobile Arena last night. Yeah, I don't know if it was gloomy. I think there was definitely concern. I think that the fans were on the edge of their seat because they were a little bit nervous. But remember, when you heard this start to that, they were still celebrating the Dumbo goal. Minnesota didn't even really have a chance to get into the fact that they were in the lead in that, and they immediately turned it around. When Vegas has played their best games this year, the few times that they've been in close games, because let's face it, they dominated this division, certainly the bottom half for the most part of the season. Whenever they gave up a goal, they were a quick counterattack and got it right back. That was what they did in that game. Marshall coming down, getting that goal 18 seconds after Minnesota takes the lead. And it's a save that <clears throat> I'm not going to say it was an easy save because it wasn't. It was a good shot. But it's one that the way Cam Talbot's been playing, you would probably expect him to have. I really think that 
brought life to the bench. It was the lightning bolt to Frankenstein's monster, and all of a sudden Vegas looked at each other and went, okay, we're off the snide now. We are right back in this game, and Minnesota didn't even have a chance to catch their breath, and all of a sudden they were tied again. All the work they did, all the great play they did in the first uh, period where Marc-Andre Fleury once again kept them in the game because Minnesota's first period might have been the best period they've played in this series up to this point, and all of a sudden it's for nothing again as the game is tied. That was a huge goal considering all the circumstances. Uh, exactly correct. And again, when I talk about the gloominess to the jubilation, it was just, there was this tightness with, within the team, within everyone watching the game, you know, the 8,600 in attendance uh, labeled a sellout because uh, that was the max that they could allow into T-Mobile Arena last night. And just, again, the exhale once they scored that tying goal. And then seven minutes later, uh, Alex Tuck gave... The Golden Knights, the first lead of the series. It's off by Sturm and clear. They've got a little bit more jump, though, now, Vegas. It's Tuck with Stone over the line. A pass to the middle. Theodore rags, fires off a body. Loose puck swatted at by Stone. Petrangelo on the hunt. Into the zone. A shot off the glove of Talbot. A bank attempt. They score! All right, and the Golden Knights with their very first lead, and at the beginning of that highlight, you could hear uh, the announcers saying exactly what we're talking about here. Vegas just playing with a little more hop in their step and a lot more confidence. And then uh, when Tuck uh, scored the goal, it was like, wow, okay, we're back. Well, let's be honest. They had more hop in their step because they just were on a power play. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not a power play goal, but I believe it was 15 seconds after the power play ended. So although right. it doesn't go down as a power play goal, it does have that effect and that feeling of a power play. Minnesota was still tired because they had just killed off the penalty. But those players were still out on the ice. And what did Alex Tuck do? What I would like to see Alex Tuck do more and more of. And Alex Tuck has had a really good season. With Alex Tuck's size and his ability, he was in front of the net. He took advantage of an opportunity. He was fortuitous in the fact that the puck was there and he banged it home. Alex Tuck, if he's going to have the career that he hopes to have and that the Vegas Golden Knights hope he has... He needs to be in front of the net more. It's great when he comes flying down the ice and he makes those goals when he uses his size and his speed, but he's got the size even when he doesn't have the opportunity to use that speed. I would like to see him in front of the net more. He did it there, and all of a sudden, Vegas has the lead. Like I say, it wasn't a power play goal, but it kind of had that feeling that it was the effect of coming right after the power play. All right, and then Alex Tuck added another goal to seal the deal with 52 seconds left in the game. That came actually on a power play final score, 3-1 Golden Knights uh, with the victory, and now they even the series one game apiece. Marc-Andre Fleury, let's talk about him. Uh, 34 saves last night. Look what Fleury has done in these first two games. He's turned away 63 of 65 shots. Fantastic uh, again last night. Oh, Marc-Andre Fleury is the MVP of this series up to this point. It's only two games in, and Cam Talbot's played very well. And I know uh, Brian Blessing was just on here before us, and he mentioned the fact, well, Cam Talbot's played well. He's still only given up three goals in six periods. And that's the way that the Minnesota Wild are looking at it. If you're the Golden Knights, you have to look at it. 
He's given up three goals in two periods now. The last two we played. They finally found a chink in his armor. And you mentioned that second Alex Tuck goal there. It was a power play goal, and it basically sealed the game when Kaprizov got called for that penalty on the trip and all of a sudden because they were going to pull the goalie to get the 6-on-5 advantage. Well, once they got that penalty, all of a sudden they're, they're going shorthanded. So even though they didn't pull him because they don't want to go 5-on-5 five five and leave an open net, it really sealed the game. But I do think it's significant the fact that they did score that goal and it wasn't an empty net goal because they did beat Talbot doing it. If it's 3-1 to one and it's an empty netter, you go, well, Talbot still only gave up two goals. The fact that they kept aggressive, and I will say part of it was because even though they were shorthanded, Minnesota had to play like they were still going for it, like that, almost they were the team on the power play. But once again, what did Alex Tuck do? He got the puck down low in front of the goalie. And now I'm wondering if by giving up three goals and the last two in front of the net to Tuck, as Talbot showing a little chink, has Vegas gotten a little bit more jump? They haven't played well in Minnesota, but they've got to be feeling good about the fact that they they might not have got the 5-1 win that they wanted, but they got the last three goals in the series here. They pulled off the victory here, and they beat Talbot a couple of times. Have they finally figured him out to a certain extent? And they've done it still without Stone, without a patch ready in the lineup. And i got to say this, too. We're talking about Marc-Andre Fleury, and rightfully so. How about Alec Martinez? This guy, once again, he has the goal that loses the first game, bounced off his skate. No problem. It wasn't his fault at all. He was questionable for the game yesterday. He's out there again still blocking shots and doing everything. This guy is a warrior. This guy is a team leader. This is why you brought him into this team, because he won Stanley Cups with L.A. He is showing that he's willing to do everything on the ice. And you see when, when you see a veteran like that who's already won Cups doing what he does, that's got to be an incentive for the rest of the players to go out there and bust their butt. You know, the Golden Knights, from a defensive standpoint, they played more like what we saw Minnesota do in Game 1. You talk about all the blocks where they were sacrificing their body, laying out, and that's the Martinez, a perfect example that he was doing that. Others were doing that as well, too. Uh, just a, a fantastic performance by the Golden Knights. But this game was in limbo. It was in doubt. And I know that there were... There were people that were thinking, like, wow, is this team ever going to score? Here we go again, another scoreless first period. And then, again, they don't score until eight minutes or remaining in the second period here. Again, and then when they fell behind, it was like, wow. And, again, that could be the whole series changer. Not saying the Golden Knights are going to win this series because we still know what's going to happen. It's still one game apiece. Right. Don't want to get ahead of Anything but, can happen. But that goal, okay, by Marcia Show, in, in 18 seconds later, like you said, you know, uh, Radford Dumba's gold. I mean, they they were didn't get a chance really. They were still either celebrating or not ready, or maybe you know. But for the Golden Knights to score 18 seconds after that to answer and then put two unanswered goals after that by Tuck, that is that is a statement. And like you said, hit the nail on the head too about okay, maybe this will shake up Talbot a little bit, give the Golden Knights a lot more confidence as they head into games three and four in Minnesota. So uh, just big, and I can't emphasize enough. That goal, 18 seconds after Minnesota scored, that could be a series changer. It could definitely be a series changer. And I want to preface what I'm about to say with I'm not saying this is going to happen. Because some people hear what you're saying. You go, well, you just said that because I don't know what's going to happen. Like you said, it's one-to-one right now. But remember the Stanley Cup final season one. Vegas won the first game. Vegas had a one nothing lead in the second game. Then the Capitals scored. They got their confidence. They won four straight games. Is this the lightning bolt that woke up Vegas 
and let the better team, because I think we're all in agreement that if you go top to bottom on the rosters, Vegas has more talent than the Minnesota Wild does. I'm not saying they're going to sweep the series from this point on. I don't know if they're going to win one of the two games in Minnesota. If they win one, that would be a huge victory for them because they haven't played well up there. But they're now alive. They're playing with confidence again, and they're still doing it without Pacioretty, who some people thought might have been a game-time decision yesterday. Can you imagine the lift that he would give to the team if they go up to Minnesota and all of a sudden he is on the ice ready to play? But even if he's not, Vegas now knows they can win. And we talked about how physical game one was. Yesterday was also physical, but whereas Minnesota had the more hits in game one, I think Vegas out-hit them yesterday. Right. I know they had a big lead after two periods, and I think they did in the third. Vegas was saying, okay, you're a team that's not afraid to punch us in the mouth. Well, guess what? We're going to keep on punching you as well. Vegas, there's a lot of positive signs for the Vegas Golden Knights in, in last night's win. All right. Marc-Andre Fleury, again, you know, we have talked about it. Everyone has talked about, you know, should he uh, get the game one start, which he did. And sure enough, he got the game two start. There is no going back now with this goalie controversy. There is none. And there's no need, in my opinion, for Robin Leonard to even see the ice unless they are comfortably ahead or behind in either a game or the series. But at this point, the way Fleury's playing and the statement that has been made here, even though Peter DeBoer hasn't said anything, no need for us to even think that we're going to see Robin Leonard. That's what I'm thinking. Absolutely. I mean, he can see the ice. He's got a really good seat. He's right there on the bench. But he shouldn't be on the ice. If if he was in San Jose, he wouldn't uh, have a good uh, seat to see the ice, though, because he'd be at the other end. Well, but but I mean, but no, I mean, Robin Leonard is is a good quality goalie. But on this team, with the way Marc Andre Andre Fleury has played this season, he's a backup. Marc Andre Fleury is clearly the better goalie on this club right now. And we talked about it at the end. Although Leonard had a really good season, his last couple games were arguably his worst. What I'm curious to see is, and I expect Cam Talbot to play in game three, but is that just a given? Because he did give up three goals there, and they got a good youngster, and they kind of split some of the time this year. Talbot played more games, but he didn't play like 90% of the games or something like that. Does Minnesota think about a change? I don't think they do in game three, but if he gave up a goal or something like that and they start feeling like his confidence is getting a little bit shaky like it did in the last couple of weeks, do they make a quick poll or something? Do they try to change things up or whatever? Again, I think it would be a knee-jerk reaction to do it immediately, but we're talking about the goalie controversy down here. I didn't think there should have been one going into this playoff, and we talked about that. I believe I said, if Marc-Andre Fleury hasn't shown Pete DeBoer that he should be the starter now, then there's nothing he can ever do to show him that. I think Pete DeBoer is 100% on board with it right now. And I actually think Robin Leonard's cool with it, too. Because Robin Leonard's also got eyes, and he's, an, and he's an intelligent guy. I think he knows that Fleury's been playing better right now. And you know what? Although you'd love to be part of it, if you get a Stanley Cup ring and you get to hoist the cup... I believe that is the goal. Yeah. And, and as far as the controversy goes, I mean, yeah, it is a controversy, not because it, we're saying that it, it is or it isn't. It's because it's been built this way, and Peter DeBoer isn't addressing it. 
So it's always going to be a controversy until we see consecutive games or DeBoer coming out and saying, yes, he is our guy, let's squash it, which he should have done a long time ago. Well, yeah, DeBoer's you actually know? added fuel to the fire by ignoring exactly. it or doing that's the rotation why, and That's my else. point. That's why it's a controversy. Hey, hey, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Not no, because, no, you he, know. Yeah, he has definitely yeah. led to the media right. intrigue about it. The whole espionage of what's going on, the, you know, play the Mission Impossible theme behind it or something. Dun, 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 you know. I don't know exactly what, but no, Pete DeBoer has led to the three-ring circus that surrounds it, which is kind of weird because in San Jose, where Martin Jones should have been somebody that they were pulling, he kept with him when he probably shouldn't have. Right. The difference is now he's got two really good goalies instead of two really bad ones. (laughs) And again, uh, this all goes back to the contract. It's 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 all circled around the contract. When you paying Leonard, what you're paying him, and you basically say and anoint him as your number one, like he did in last season's playoffs. And then when the season starts, he gets the game one start. But we're going to go ahead and go through the rotation, and you keep that rotation all the way to the last game of the regular season. Yeah, it's a controversy, and we all knew, we suspected that Mark Andre Fleury was going to start game one, and then after his fantastic performance of game one, yes, more than likely he's going to start game two. But you take the controversy out of the equation by just announcing it. Just like you announce a starting pitcher, you announce your starting quarterback, you say who's playing, you have an injury report. But of course, the Golden Knights and Peter DeBoer, the NHL in general, they are backwards with all this, adding all of that fuel to the fire when none of it should even be existing. It should be doused. We should be seeing the smoke uh, hovering over the, the black ashes long ago. You are talking about a league where there's only two injuries in the entire league. You know that, right? That's what there's I'm upper body and lower body. Yeah. In fact, it's funny because I was watching, I think it was the Pittsburgh game, and they were talking about an injured player, and they mentioned the fact they said, well, he's got either an upper body or lower body. I don't remember what they're even yeah. saying. They couldn't even keep track of what they were trying to sell it off as. So I'm thinking, oh, he probably has a wrist injury or something. If he's if he's crossing his arms, it's upper body, and if he's hanging him down by his knees. So, I mean, yeah. this this whole league is so secretive. I'm not surprised. I would be surprised if the board came out and said, well, yeah, after yesterday's game, Mark andre Fleur is our starter and, and uh, Leonard is now the backup. I wouldn't be surprised if he says, well, you know, if we get up 3-1 or something, you know, maybe we throw Robin in to get him a little ice time or something like that. I never know what to The one thing I don't expect from these guys is to be absolutely open and honest and tell us what's going on because that would be completely against what they do. A lot of extremities there in the lower body and upper body. Just more than one or two. A lot of extremities. Well, and again, like I said, you know, if it's a if it's an arm, if it's an arm or something like that, it could be upper and lower yeah. up. As, you know, you, you you know, you scratch your forehead, yeah. it's upper. But all of a sudden, you scratch your knee, it's it's lower. It's a, you know, you're bending over doing calisthenics. I don't know. Game number three tomorrow night in St. Paul, Wild and the Golden Knights, and again. It's uh, and, that's the narrative a and that's a 6.30 start, by the way, for tomorrow, Correct. which is interesting because that's 8.30 in Minnesota, so right. it's a little bit late, but you got to appease the TV people TV in that. because so, there'll be an East you know, Coast game And then going Saturday's on. game will be yeah. 5, so it'll right. be earlier on Saturday, So right. which makes sense. It's the weekend. Games 3 and 4 in uh, St. Paul. Golden Knights uh, win last night 3-1, to one, the series even at one game apiece. All right. The Las Vegas Aces, they got a victory last night as well, too. They answered the, the bell as they took care of business, beating the Seattle Storm 96-80. to So they're one-on-one in the season. Uh, very important to get a split up there in Seattle. Uh, six players scoring double figures for the Aces last night. Jackie Young, career high. 
21 points. Asia Wilson, Liz Cambage each, each had 18. Chelsea Gray with 11. Kelsey Plum with 10. Raquana Williams with 10. Derek Hamby with 8. So there's your scoring added up. 96 points. Great balanced effort. Great defensive intensity from the Aces last night. They led wire to wire against the defending champs. And what a great way to come home and have your season opener on Friday when you defeat the season, uh, defeat the defending champs thoroughly and soundly last night. Yeah, so yesterday they, they were Medina Spirit in the Derby. The first game they were Medina Spirit in the Preakness. They got caught in the back end. But um, mm-hmm. but no, but no, it, it was a good game. It was a nice effort all the way around, like you said. They remember, they had a lead in the first game. They were up nine yeah. points, and then it kind of collapsed on them. They couldn't do the rotations. Uh, Seattle got in a rhythm. They started sending all the you know the screens and, and setting their, their players up for wide-open shots, and Vegas didn't do that. So although Bill Lambeer said maybe we try to make it too intricate, I, I think he took the defense down a little bit of a notch and made a little bit bit more simplistic for them and figured we have the season to work on the other stuff and it certainly worked out they didn't let Seattle get in that same type of role and they had the lead and they kept the foot to the you know the pedal to the metal so to speak so it was a good performance uh, the the aces uh played the game and they did the whole game and you're never going to play an entire game you're going to have peaks and valleys a little bit but they never got to the point where all of a sudden they were looking up and going oh my god here we go again or something like that because they did keep that lead and in the end it was a very comfortable win it was yeah wire to wire which you rarely see in the game of basketball a team lead from uh, the opening tap to uh, to the end and you know talking to Lambier and the players after the game last night it was it wasn't just the simplicity factor about the defense he said it and the players said, no, they go, our coaching staff really got got on us. It was Lambeer and Tanisha Wright, who's really kind of a driving force, her first year as a coach with this team. And the players really respect her because they said, you know, it's all about, and this is true, defense is all about will. It, it, it's will and, and that desire. And if you have that, you're going to be locking people down. And that's exactly where it came from last night. They decided to get in the grills of Sue Bird and Brianna Stewart and, and Jewel Lloyd, and that's what they did. I mean, the defense turned into offense. They had a great transition points last night. So just a great effort, but it did start the defensive end. So hopefully they can carry that over to Friday night's game as well, too. Yeah, and when you and you have when you have an effort like that, it's, it kind of seemed like maybe Seattle wasn't ready for it mm-hmm. after the passiveness that they played yep. in the first game. And I think it also shows. And I know that this is an old adage in basketball, and you know it from coaching, and we've watched it our whole lives and played it ourselves in that. Your offense comes and goes. Some nights you have it, sometimes from period to period or quarter to quarter, whatever. But. Defense should always be there because it is intensity. If you're lacking on the defensive end, that's a lack of effort because there's no reason to not go out there and give effort on defense. Your shot can come and go. The defensive intensity, that's up to you. That's the heart and the head. You got it. All right. Uh, Congratulations to the Aces and the Knights. A good Las Vegas sports night last night as uh, both teams win. All right, when we come back, we'll talk a little Major League Baseball, the former pitcher and the former pitching coach from those World Series champion Chicago Cubs back in 2016. Chris Bazio will join us. We'll talk about that. Next hour, Tim Bradley. We talk some boxing. Nick Bogdanovich from William Hill. And we'll also preview the big game tonight in the NBA play-in tournament, the Warriors and the Lakers. Now, back to more of Las Vegas' favorite sports madman, the Dr. T.C. Martin. On this Wednesday, don't forget uh, RVD in the house tomorrow. Rob Van Dam will talk about the latest WWE icon special, the Rob Van Dam story, which uh, took place 
last uh, Sunday. So he'll be in the house uh, tomorrow with his uh, bi-weekly visit. Does bi-weekly twice a week or is it like every other week? I always get the the bi-weekly and the bi-monthly mixed up. Well, bi-weekly would be every other week. That's what I said. Is you that, know. Or is it the same thing? I think it's the same thing. Well, not it, it, two times in the same week is not the same as once every two weeks. Bi-weekly and bi-monthly. Does it mean the same thing? Oh, bi-monthly, yeah. yeah. But, but you also said something about or, or two times in the same week. That that would be twice a week. So, yeah, my, my question originally was, is bi-weekly mean twice in a week or every other week? And then I went well, to the bi Well, it depends bi-monthly. because some months with 31 days, depending if he's there the, the first of the month, he could be there three times in that month technically. Okay. So bi-monthly is kind of the same, but it could be different on certain months. Okay. So it'd be like transgender So monthly? just go bi-weekly. <laughs> Tra- what the hell does transgender have to do with it? Chris Bosio joins us right now. Boz, what's going on, my man? Well, that was an interesting conversation. <laughs> yeah, he, he went from bi-weekly to bisexual. <laughs> We'll see. You knew where I was going with that. There you go. No, I didn't until now, and it yeah. kind of scares the hell out of me. I think I'm out of here. Uh, Scribble, I, I agree. Scrib a lot of the bullpen. Note. Come on in. <laughs> bring it. No hold up. We're, bring, we're bringing. It, we're bringing in the right hander right now. He's got a no-no to his credits. So. Yeah. Maybe we're bringing the ambidextrous. De- amp- de- ambidextrous. Ambidextrous. Yeah. The left hand or the right hand. The bi-weekly ambidextrous. There you go. That's oh what God. I'm saying. At least I didn't say. The transgender reliever I didn't say that. There's nothing wrong. You can say that these days, as we know. I you mean, can you can run for governor. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that depends on the state, though, too, right? I don't know. Depends uh, on the state of the mind of the voter. There it is. <laughs> All right. All right. Oh, this is way off the rails. All right, let's try, try again. Three, <laughs> two, one. Major League Baseball, another no-no. Last night, the fifth of the season. Let's talk about it with our great friend, the former pitcher, the author of a no-no himself back in the day, the pitching coach, famously with the Chicago Cubs, the 2016 World Series champions, and, of course, the pride of Rancho Cordova and the Sacramento Sports Hall of Famer, Chris Bosio. What's up, Boz? TC, how you doing? <laughs> I'm good, man. <laughs> All right, man. Uh, Spencer Turnbull. Uh, if I asked anybody who is Spencer Turnbull, they would have no idea that he's a Major League Baseball pitcher. I don't know who they think the guy was. I would have thought it was one of your former wrestlers. Yeah, that could, <laughs> Spencer Turnbull. He'd be a jobber, though. You know, with a name like that, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, Boz, uh, we have a fifth no-no last night. Uh, with uh, one of your former teams uh, as a pitching coach, the Detroit Tigers. Do you know Spencer Turnbull at all? Had had Spencer in spring training with us, and I tell you what, his he's got unbelievable stuff. Um, I mean, it's swing and miss stuff in three in three pitches, and the, his biggest issue has been the ability to throw strikes. But when he's over the plate, it's it's obviously really hard to hit. Biggest problem with him has been able to harness it. And, you know, he took his lumps last year uh, as a young starting pitcher in that rotation, leading the major leagues in losses. But, you know, that's part of the learning curve. That's part of the process. And uh, very happy for him because he's guy's got a lot of ability. He's a very hardworking young man. But he's got unbelievable, unbelievable stuff. He really does. 
You know, as a pitching coach, I mean, when you're seeing these young pitchers or just anybody for that matter, whether it's spring training or you get a call up during the regular season, you're looking at your staff. Do you think that far ahead, like, okay, this guy could turn out to really be something special. He could be one of these guys that throws a no-no. And like you said, I don't know, you know, how well, you know, how much time you actually spent with him. It was spring training with the Tigers a few years back. But uh, do you recall anything that this kid said, hey, we, this, this, this guy could be something special? He was our highest swing and miss guy in our in our minor league system. Okay. And this was right after we traded Verlander, and we got that haul from Houston. And a friend, we had a righty named Franklin Perez who just hasn't worked out over there at all because of the injury bug. But, you know, this, this guy's stuff stood out. And... You know, we tried him on the right-hand side of the third base side of the, the rubber, the first base side of the rubber. The one thing that he was he loved to do was compete. He loved to compete. He just didn't know how to win. And that's something that's, you know, you're, you're taught that at the minor league level, you know, how to win games. And his stuff was so good, he never really got over the hump. And last year's losing experience – and losing a lot of really close games, you look at his numbers. He had a low whip, low batting average against. Walks will improve, but he's got swing and miss stuff. This is a guy that uh, fantasy owners are going to want to watch closely moving forward. 9-25, and 25. that was his record heading into last night's game. And like you I mentioned, uh, more losses uh, than any other pitcher in 2019 in he now has a no-hitter. And he said he didn't have his, his best stuff when he was warming up. And he got, oh, man, my, my mechanics are all off and that sort of thing. And this kind of coincides to like what you've talked about with other pitchers and including yourself. The day that you threw the no-no, like I said, you were sick. You didn't think that uh, you were going to be able to even gut this thing out. It's, just, it's really strange how these things evolve from basically your bullpen session, your warm-ups, to the way the game transpires. And again, a, a, another no-no from a guy that's really not a household name. You know, and, and we're not done, TC. I mean, that's not going out on a limb saying that, you know, there's – there's going to be more no hitters because there there certainly is. I mean, pitchers are just starting to get stretched out. The guys that have thrown the no hitters are the guys looking at them with unbelievable off speed pitches, whether it be slider or a changeup. Um, I mean, there's there's something to be said with that, you know. And I'm it's the year of the pitcher. John, you know, there's going to be some records broke. John Means, Joe Musgrove, Wade Miley, Carlos Rodon, and now Spencer Turnbull. Not really the the murderer's row or killer pitchers that you would think, but again, it's, you know, congratulations. But again, we wow, five of them already. Here we are, the middle of May. And again, th- these are not the Max Scherzers of the world and, and you know, the Garrett Coles. It's, a, it's somewhat surprising. Yeah. Guys that can work the ball and, you know, so much for the, the new baseball where it's going to be, uh, you know, in the park more. Now that now everybody's going, well, now the pitchers have the advantage. Well, you know, which, which way are we going to tilt this thing? Which way do you want to tilt it? Because when the weather starts warming up and the runs start jacking up again, then they're going to say the same thing about the baseball. They're all 
now this this round of baseballs are juiced. Just thought... wait. It's a long season, TC. You know, every every cliche, every every little thing is going to be talked about more and more as the season gets going because nobody nobody's used to the long season. So there's all kind of panic buttons that are going to be pushed about every other week. You mentioned something uh, that I thought was interesting earlier when you mentioned the fact that you could see that he had all the right stuff even though he had three pitches. And I think sometimes guys try to throw more than they're capable of. And if you have the really good stuff, that's what you should go with. So I'm fine with that necessarily. But you said that he didn't know how to win. How do you teach somebody how to go out there and win uh, in the minor leagues or wherever it is, because that does seem to be a problem. You know, when you go out there expecting to win, it seems easier to win. And some guys go out there thinking, well, I'm just going to give it my old college best effort or something like that. But they don't know how to perform in crunch time and that and get that W when all is said and done. Well, it has, it's pitch count driven. And unfortunately, analytics is getting in the way of development because everybody's looking at the third time around, even in the minor leagues. And, of course, if a hitter sees a pitcher for the third time, the numbers should go up. The more pitches you see them, on average, you're seeing probably 15 pitches and three at-bats. But you want to develop pitchers, you're going to have to leave them out there and find out who can do the third time around, who can do the fourth time around, but still have a reasonable pitch count. That in itself is lost because organizations will not allow it because they're not going to let these guys get to 100 pitches anymore. 75 is the, the ceiling because now what they're doing, and this is what we did way back when at Chicago, we counted every pitch you threw. From the moment you started playing catch in your warm-up, on average guys throw for, say, 10 minutes, you're able to get as, as a pitcher about five throws maybe every 60 seconds. That's a pretty good pace. So let's call it, let's just call it four. For 10 minutes, that's 40 throws. Then you get into the bullpen, you got a, usually about a 28 to 32 pitch warm up. Now you're at 72 throws. You get eight, eight pitches in between innings. On average, say you're going six innings, that's another 40. We're at 100 tosses and we haven't even thrown one pitch in the game. So whatever you have in the game, and normally you're, you are ballooned up to around a volume of around 220 to 250 for the day. So when you start tracking all this, you know, then you can really start to see tendencies and stuff. Maybe he threw too much in the last one. Maybe he threw, you know, too many warm-up pitches. Maybe he had a... He's had three really long innings in this sequence right here. These are the things that pitchers learn in the minor leagues that they're not being able to be taught at the major league level because of urgency and analytics. Chris Bazio joins us uh, talking about last night's no-hitter, the fifth of the season by Spencer Turnbull of the Detroit Tigers. Guy Boz knows very, very well with his time with uh, the Tigers a few years back strikeouts at an all-time high for hitters. We see that. Uh, batting average is uh, all-time low. And then we're seeing these no-hitters from guys that really are, are not dominant pitchers. I mean, Turnbull now 10-25, and 25, a career ERA of 4.33. And you can make that same argument or that same case with all of these guys that have thrown the no-nos who we mentioned earlier. Uh, what's the cure for, for this, Boz, especially with the 
batting averages at an all-time low and strikeouts at an all-time high? Well, I, I think there's one thing that's really got kind of got carried away with in all of this. Um, remember when we were going through the, the strike zone thing? Yep. Well, I think that's one way you can control the games because there's a lot of issues right now within the strike zone. To me, the only way you're going to be able to clean this up is in the strike zone because all the other stuff, you're, I think you're messing with the integrity of the game. So, you know, whether you want to, you want to raise it, you want to lower it, I don't care. I, I really don't. But all the other stuff, moving the mound back, moving the bases back, you know, moving the fences in. I mean, there's just there's so much stuff going on. I think there's another way to handle it. Um, I, I don't know what that is. I mean, scuttlebutt. I mean, there's been people talked about. Hey, let's go back to the launch ball in the in the 1980s. You know, Major League Baseball has composites of every ball they've used. You know, ever since we started wrapping balls with Rawlings, you know, down in in Haiti down there. They could they could figure something out and re- if you want to really bring offense back, go back to the tighter wound ball. That'll fix it. There you go. I think we're all on the same page here that none of us are exactly big fans of the shift and some of the different things they do in baseball. But for the analytics people that draw this kind of stuff up, do they look at these stats today with the lower batting averages and that kind of stuff and say, Well, there's your proof right there that it's working because look Guys aren't getting on base as much, so what we're doing is making it more difficult for the offense to uh, do their thing. Well, when you uh, when you allowed it, you know, I mean, what, who's going to stop them from doing it? You can't make a team say, "Hey, you can't play defense like that anymore." Now, again, we're t- we're messing with the integrity of the game, but now you got a dead pull hitter that can't hit the ball to left field. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. To me, it's like a, a pitcher. They can't throw a breaking ball for a strike. This is the major leagues. And if you can't do it, then you should suffer. The ones that can do it are the ones that are going to be getting benefits from it. Chris Bosio joins us. All right, Boz, you talk about integrity. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about the Chicago White Sox and the Minnesota Twins. The game Monday night where the White Sox are leading 15-4. to And uh, your mean Mercedes uh, comes up, uh, and the count is 3-0 and against him. And he's facing a catcher. Because at that point in time, the, the, the Twins basically said, okay, we're mailing this one in. And then we got a little baseball etiquette here. And here's what it sounded like with the 3-0 pitch delivered by a catcher. We don't need a pitch clock for Astadio. Oh, he loaded up. Mercedes tattoos it to center. It is gone. There you go. A 3-0 swing. And it's 16-4. Well, I'm thinking that probably doesn't. <laughs> okay, so uh, there you go, Boz. Uh, you've been in these situations. Um you know, we've seen uh, Anthony Rizzo go out and pitch uh, for the Cubs in blowout games and, and, and other position players. Uh, the unwritten rule in baseball, we know there's plenty of them here. You don't go and swing at a 3-0 pitch, one especially coming from a catcher throwing the ball 47 miles per hour. What are your thoughts? Well, why not? Why don't you swing? There you go. There you go. 
Who needs the unwritten rule? There you go. Are you kidding me? There you go. We, there's so many. I can't keep track of all these <laughs> underwritten rules. I just, if you're going to say let them play, let them play. Next. <laughs> yeah, didn't Tatis take some flack for that last year with there the Padres? And it's like, come on, who man. cares? I mean, then th- then cares? don't then don't throw a cheese ball up there that he can hammer over the fence. Yeah, yeah just walk everybody. Just walk every batter. You don't want anybody in the homers. Just walk every guy. I mean, you little you are putting a guy out there who has no business being on the mound. You're trying to save your bullpen or whatever. So you're going to throw a catcher out there. You're going to throw a left fielder out there, a first baseman out there, a utility yeah. guy. We've seen it time and time again. And then people complain about it. Or you're wasting you're wasting your time on this subject. You really are. This is ridiculous. <laughs> But it is unbelievable what's going on in our game with whether it's the can or the cannot. So who, who, who's who's in charge of the rules here? Because I have no idea. Well, apparently Tony Larusa, you know, seventy-six years old, old school guy. Uh, he wasn't happy with his own player. Here's what Tony Larusa had to say about Mercedes hitting the 3-0 pitch. For I took home. several steps in the dugout onto the field, yelling "Take, take, take!" Because just the way he was set up, it looked to me like he was going to swing. And the whole time he's around the bases, I'm out there, and I'm, you know, I was upset because that's not a time to swing three and zero. And as you know, I happen to look over there, and I know the Twins knew that I was upset. You know, Joey, give him a take sign. I just think Ermin was locked into he and Estudio. You know, they they know each other from different comp- competition, com- uh, competitions, and he was locked in. And really, why well, he just I got to get him, I got to get him. But he he missed a three zero hit sign. But that kind of leave, that's just it's not over. That's just sportsmanship, respect for the game, respect for your opponent. He made a mistake, so you know there'll be a consequence that he has to uh, endure here uh, within our family. Uh, but, uh, you know, it won't happen again because, you know, Joe will be on the lookout and I will be too, and we'll go running in front of the pitcher. We have to. Now, he's not going to do that again. I, I heard he says something like, I play my game. But no, he doesn't. He plays the game of Major League Baseball that respects the game, respects the opponents, and that was not. And he's got to respect the signs. When he gets to take sign, he takes. He's in there today, so the consequence is not sitting down. It's a learning experience. All right, Tony Larusa chastising his own player to the media and everyone else, saying he's got to suffer the consequences of part of the family. So when you hear that, Boz, what are your thoughts? Well, he probably had a double cheeseburger sitting in his locker and then put him in the five hole in the lineup. <laughs> Uh, you know, Tony's been, uh, you know, one to, you know, down a few, as, as we know. He's not going to do anything for what he did. Come on. <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice if in life all of our mistakes ended up with the ball going over the fence and we hit a home run out of it? Exactly. And if you're going to make a mistake, a... that's not a bad mistake to make. <laughs> no, you get a burger named after you for crying out loud. I mean, let's go. Plus, when he gets his own radio show, now he can kind of rib him about getting it, kind of like you do with the triple against T.C., yeah. Thank you, thank you. Where's the? There he is. There's my guy, the drummer. Of course he is. Of course he's on it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank uh, you. So, Boz, did you ever have these type of discussions with any of your managers in these blowout situations? Where, okay, hey, want to bring this guy in? Were you vocal about this, either for it, against it? You know, 
I was always a little argumentative with my manager about taking me out of games, but you got to remember, hey, and I'm proud of this number. I, I think 39 complete games in my career. Right. But I think we, I'm talking, fought, I'm, we fought to stay out there, but it's a different kind of game now. It's a different kind of game. Back then, they'd yank you out in a minute to make a point. And case in point right here with Tony, well, he's going to be reprimanded. But he's right back in there again today. Yeah. Okay, but from a, a pitching coach standpoint, with your manager, uh, when you're coaching, did you ever have any of these type of debates or discussions about, hey, should we throw you know Rizzo or some of these guy out there because we want to save our bullpen? And what was your t- what was oh, your ab- side on that? Absolutely. I mean, you know, Rizzo was always trying to work us to get in there because he, you know, he really wanted to get on the mound. He thought he could pitch. They all think they can pitch when they get you know get, get out there. And they all actually do a pretty good job because the other teams usually just want to get the game over with. But this one, we always have emergency pitchers in in just-in-case situations. But I found it interesting, you know, with the guy from the White Sox, Yemen, you know, hitting that home run off of, you know, the Minnesota Twins player, and you had exact, like you said, TC, you had exactly the same thing happen with Rizzo and Freeman with Atlanta. But Rizzo strikes him out. Well, what if Freeman hit the home run right there? Is that showing him up because he hit a home run off of Rizzo in a blowout game? It's the same thing. Right. You're right. You know, maybe, so the, I, maybe the reason we have so many no-hitters today is because the pitcher knows the only way the manager's not going to yank him is if he's got a no-no going. <laughs> You know what? And you think about that. And it's going to be interesting to follow the guys that have thrown no hitters to track them right now to see how they've done, you know, in their next couple starts after the no hitter. Because now you're getting into pitch counts. Wade Miley said, he goes, I haven't had that many pitches in a start in four years. Right. And and Turnbull had 130 last night. I know. Let's see where we're at. And that's, that's an average start for Turnbull. I mean, he, I mean, he'll he'll empty the barn out there if you if you let him. <laughs> All right, my man. I appreciate the time as always. Great stuff, Boz. Uh, keep on keeping on, and uh, we'll we'll talk to you later, man. Go back and uh, look All at right. your old uh, yeah, that old VCR tape of uh, you know me striking you out there at Folsom High. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Talk to you later. <laughs> Take care. <laughs> <laughs> guys, I had to bring it up again. See, it always happens, doesn't it? I was talking to someone else. They knew that Bosio was coming on today, and they go, "Hey, does that mean we're gonna gonna hear the old story again?" No, I said we've. we've well, I was I wasn't gonna bring it up, but when they but when they actually said that when Larusa said that they knew each other from when they were younger, yeah. and that that's when I thought, well, maybe he was like, "Hey, you know what? Mm-hmm. I'm gonna go yard on this guy." Yeah. yeah. Uh, for the record, again, T.C. Martin defeated Chris Bosio in high school, one nothing. Final score. Remember that, Chris Bosio. Remember that. He does. But he wants to talk about the snow fence and hitting a triple off somebody that looked like me, maybe, in another game. Well, it's snow fences. I remember those. Yeah. All of a sudden, if somebody dives over one of them, someone's going to impale themselves. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Timothy Bradley, the former champ of the ESPN boxing analyst. He'll be on the call Saturday night for the big match coming up at uh, the Virgin Hotel. Josh Taylor and Jose Ramirez look forward to that. Nick Bogdanovich will join us. Uh, We'll talk NBA play-in tournament, hour number two, right around the corner. T.C. Martin Show on this Wednesday.